We have a special guest on Let Me Be Frank today, Dr. Timothy Locke, a Catholic psychologist who heads up psychological services at St. Joseph Seminary in New York. Tim and Bishop Frank will talk about seminarian formation and helping our priests. And then they'll take a little step back and talk about mental health uh, in the time of COVID. This is a really important discussion, so keep your radio locked in at 13.50 a.m. or keep your phone locked in on the Veritas app. If you don't yet have the app, you can download it at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. It's that time of year again. Foundations in Faith will soon be accepting applications for Youth in Action grants. The program will fund three diocesan initiatives that are by youth and for youth for up to $5,000. To be eligible, applicants must be members of a Catholic high school, a parish high school aged youth group, or a Catholic young adult group. Applications must also emphasize evangelization, collaboration, or justice and equity for historically underserved populations in their proposed programs. Keep an eye on the Foundations in Faith website. Applications go live on the Foundations in Faith website on October 4th, and they'll close on November 19th at midnight. To learn more or to apply, visit foundationsinfaith.org and click on Youth in Action Grants at the top of the page. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. All right, I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Good morning, Steve. Excellency. Nice to see you. Today we have a great topic to talk about. We do. Right? It's a, Yeah, it's an important one, and one that we've been wanting mm-hmm. to ta- tackle for a while, and it's nice to have an expert on with us. So mm-hmm. let me introduce the expert. <laughs> uh, <laughs> our guest today is uh, Dr. Timothy Locke. Tim is a licensed psychologist. He's been working since 2019 as the full-time director of psychological services at Dunwoody Seminary in the Archdiocese of New York. With the seminarians, Dr. Locke offers counseling and consultation, and he teaches in the formation program. He is also the founder and director of the Goretti Center for Healing and Forgiveness, where he's been treating clients since 2001. And uh, he serves on the review board of the Conference of Major Superiors of Men, the Diocese of Bridgeport Ministerial Misconduct Advisory Board, and the board of directors of both Courage International and the Christian Counseling Center of Greater Danbury. And as you know, Excellency, He's just a really great guy. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Tim, welcome He's to the show. He's one busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. You guys are very kind. Very kind. Good morning, yeah, Steve. Tim, Good morning, how do you Bishop do all Frank. that stuff? Yeah, Tim, how do you do all that stuff? Gosh, you're a busy guy. <laughs> it's the grace of God, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Oh, my God. So I'm delighted you're here because our topic really is mental health, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah which I think is always uh, an issue of prominent importance. With COVID, it's taken on even greater importance, right? Oh, it sure um, yeah. So, So uh, I always ask guests who come on to talk a little bit about their faith journey. So oh, would you mind? Journey. Like, who is Tim Locke? Who, who is, is Tim who Locke? Who is this man? Yeah, yes. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so I grew up, I grew up in, in New Jersey, northern Jersey, and uh, 
and went to uh, Sunday Mass and, and all that good stuff. Um, and uh, in college, I kind of fell away from the faith a little bit, meandered in various Protestant denominations and whatnot, but, uh, but I had a, an experience in prayer where the Lord led me back to the Catholic Church, and that was, I was delighted, and it was really then that I learned my catechism, and I learned about the teachings of the Church, and I just fell in love with, uh, with, with the Church and with the Eucharist. And, um, and uh, from there, I, uh, I met my wife, who is a, also an a incredible person who uh, had, was on her own faith journey, and we uh, were able to really kind of grow in the faith as we um, kind of deepened our knowledge of the Lord, and, uh, and then being called to marriage was incredible. And, you know, fast forward 28 years, and here we are. Wow. How many children do you have, Tim? So we have eight children. Yeah. God bless you. And one, yeah. of course, is a seminarian, yes? Maximilian, he sure is. Yeah, and he's doing very well, right? Thanks be to God. Which yeah. is great. Oh, yeah. And now tell us, you are at St. Joseph's in Dunwoody, the seminary. So, so what is your, that, what's, your, what's your role there? So this is, it's really, it's really amazing. So in my, uh, when I finished graduate school and I started my, my practice, I met with a lot of local priests to say, you know, hey, if you, if you have anybody who needs services, send them my way. And, um, and a lot did. And, and then uh, priests themselves started to come to me. And I started to get to know a number of priests who, who had, you know, counseling needs like everybody else. And um, that, was, that was really incredible. And then some religious orders started working with nuns and with, with brothers mm -hmm. and... Um, and it was, re it was an, uh, just an amazing experience to, to get to know, you know, these people, you know, in counseling, you, you get to know people very, very deeply, and you get right into their wounds. And, you know, mm -hmm. by the grace of God and by my education, being able to help them work through those to, to grow in their freedom, to engage their ministry with, with peace, and uh, kind of send them on their way. Well, then one day I got an email about uh, uh, a uh, an opening for the Director of Psychological Services at St. Joseph's Seminary uh, in Dunwoody, New York. And I knew of, of Dunwoody, had been here a few times over the years, uh, and I had a friend who was on the faculty, uh, Father William Cleary, who we were, back in the day when we were at SUNY Binghamton, we were uh, in the folk choir together. Uh, I love to say that because uh, it's, just, uh, it's just funny, you know, how, how, things, how things go. And so, um, so Father Cleary sent me this email and said, hey, we're, we're looking for somebody. Do you know anyone? And I, I thought, wow, this is a great place and a great opportunity. And so I called a number of my colleagues um, around the country and I said, this is an awesome place. I know, um, I know some of the faculty. Um, it's just very solid and a, a wonderful opportunity. And everybody said, no, 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 no. And then it finally hit me that maybe I should apply for this. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, I was uh, very, kind of, very happy up in Brookfield uh, in my little private practice, a mile and a half from my house, and uh, I thought that's where I would be for a long time. But uh, I guess the Lord had different plans. So, mm -hmm. so um, mm -hmm. yeah, so mm -hmm. I've been here now, this is my, starting my third year, um, full time. And it's just, you know, I felt like the Lord prepared me all these years with working with priests, with, mm -hmm. with religious um, 
to, uh, to be ready to kind of embrace and, and help the, the priestly formation program mm -hmm. uh, here mm -hmm. and, and throughout the country. So we've got a great network of psychologists in different seminaries, and, and we, we meet and talk. Um, about how we can contribute and uh, different things and projects we're doing, and so it's been mm -hmm. it's been tremendously uh, grace filled and and a real blessing mm -hmm. to me. You know what, Tim? I think for some of our listeners, the, the fact that you are there as the director of psychological services at a seminary will give them great encouragement, right? Great consolation, yes. because we have heard much about um, the m misdeeds of of priests, not many in number, but nonetheless, they've done significant harm and damage to individuals and to the light of the church. And a lot of that probably is rooted in part from malformation, right? Um, yeah. Psychological issues that were never resolved and never addressed. So the fact that you're there, I, I am delighted personally because our seminarians are at St. Joe's. Right? And um, your relationship with them is great. But anyway, for our, for our, for our listeners, though, I, I think there may be a need to just kind of explain how seminary candidates are evaluated, how mm. are they evaluated during their seminary formation, how can they be helped in the realm of uh, psychological growth, human formation, mental health. Um, I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of questions out there. So could you sure. give us a sense of how that evaluation and support is done? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, the, it's, it's, it's fascinating working with seminarians. They're, they're such wonderful young men who are on fire for the Lord. Um, but they come from the same culture that we all come from. And so they're all inundated with all of the same um, you know, certainly our culture has many beautiful aspects, but there's also so much garbage and there's also so much distraction. And, you know, today with, um, with uh, so much confusion in, in the life of the family and, and these sorts of things and, and the breakdowns of the family, all of this touches um, our men because they're, coming, they're stepping out of the world and into formation um, as, as they grow and as they grow in their uh, in, in their program for formation towards the priesthood. So when guys are feeling the call and they reach out to the vocation director, the vocation director gets to know them a little bit. And when, when there's a sense that, yes, this, this, we really think this is a real call and, and, um, and the man is ready, they start to talk about seminary formation. Where will he go for seminary? Um, and part of that is also trying to get a deeper dive into who is this guy. And there's, there's a great, I, I have this, the, one of the Vatican documents here, and, and I love to quote it because it's, it's it, to me it's just fascinating. Let me just, just read you a line. It says, right from the moment when a candidate presents himself for admission to the seminary, the formator needs to be able accurately to comprehend his personality, disposition, and the types of psychological wounds evaluating their nature and intensity, end quote. So that's from a 2008 Vatican document. I mean, the what fascinated me with that is the Vatican is aware of the wounds, the psychological wounds that many guys have, and this need, um, of course, 
to, to understand the personality of the man. The, the personality is ultimately to be a bridge to the people of God, to, to connect the people of God to the Lord. And if the personality is abrasive and harsh, that's not going to be a very good bridge. Um, if the personality is fraught with you know, um, different dif- difficulties or wounds or self-absorption, that's not a very good bridge. Um, so so the, the church wants to know the man. So the man is sent for an extensive psychological evaluation. And these are fascinating. I've, I've done many of these myself. And with now working in the seminary, I can't do it for the guys coming here. The, the Vatican says the, the in-house psychologist should not do those but should look at all the different evaluations done. It gives me a little bit more objectivity. And mm-hmm. um, the guys will go for usually a day or two where they're filling out all kinds of questionnaires on all different aspects of their, of their health, their mental health, their personality, um, their, their intelligence, um, looking at learning disabilities, looking at um, and anything... Um, and everything, really. Uh, we want to know about the family history. We want to know about, you know, all their uh, education, their likes, their dislikes, all these sorts of things. And there's many um, interviews that the therapist, that the psychologist will have with the man in trying to, you know, get to know, get to know him and, and kind of seek out an understanding of, of, all right, what was his family like growing up? What, what, what kind of home did he grow up with? What, what, what was his his friends like, what was his school like? How did he interact? Um, how did he handle all the stresses? All these different things. Um, and certainly in the, in the sexual area, we want, to, we want men who are healthy, men who are, who are prepared to embrace a life of chastity and, and who can do that. And so all of these different areas are, are looked at through various very objective questionnaires and through, these, through the interview, through meeting the guy, talking to the guy. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. the psychologist puts all that together to kind of give a psychological snapshot of, of, who, of this is the fellow who's coming before you. And that's given to the vocation director, that report. And that's also shared with the seminary. And um, here at the seminary, I know we, we go over um, with the man in depth uh, to look and to understand his strengths and to understand where there's areas that are needed for growth. And in his, his formation program, we develop those, those areas for growth as, as areas of focus for him. So during his time in seminary, he can, he can work on those and he can grow. So now, may I just then ask a, a, a question that's prudential in nature? Sure. Presuming that there is no person on earth who his, whose mental health is 100% healthy, Right, <laughs> that we all have our struggles, right? Or as my father used to say, "Only little, yeah, exactly." Well, you, not me, but you, definitely. Okay, well, it's like my dad. Steve, my dad Steve's used to say, one. "Right, my dad used to say, we're all a little bit crazy. We're all a little mm-hmm. bit crazy." But now, having said that, this is the prudential judgment. You see a young man; he comes in, he has tremendous strengths, and he has some areas that need to be developed, need to grow. Oh, sure. At what point do you say prudentially, these issues we can deal with, these issues we may not be able to deal with in the seminary? Um, There is, is it a prudential judgment? Is there a scientific basis to that? Is it, 
because I think, I think, in the past the church may have erred on the side of, oh yeah, we could deal with that, when in fact they could not deal with that. Does that make sense? So uh, could you speak to that point? Sure, Mm -hmm. absolutely, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, um, back in the day, um, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, the field of psychology had uh, a different view of certain things that they, they would think, um, for example, with some sexual issues, they'd think, oh, just, you know, just over time, that'll, that'll take care of itself. Or, or with a little bit of this and a little bit of that, some therapy here and whatnot, that, that, shouldn't, that won't be a problem. Uh, un- unfortunately, that, that was, you know, badly wrong. And, and the field has changed. Um, but, you know, decisions that, that came from that were often, you know, as we all know, just tremendously disrupt, uh, destructive. Uh, we would say, yeah, that would definitely impair a, a man's ability to um, to function in in the role of of a priest who who is going you know knowing the the stressors of, of a priest's life knowing the responsibilities um, you know if this man is going to be at risk for for example for having a, a psychotic episode it's it's really mm-hmm. not fair to the man to put him in in that role mm-hmm. to ordain mm-hmm. him because mm-hmm. then he's he has the potential to you know, given enough stress, um, to to have a break, uh, to have to have a, a psychotic episode, which will be you know disruptive for him and certainly for the community, and so th- right. there are certain course, things like that. One. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I'm sorry, I didn't and mean to cut you off. No, no. No, please. no, no. Sh- yeah. So it is tr- tremendous harm, and so so there's cer- there's certain things like that that we could point to to say you know that that is really not going to be um, healthy for for the man, and that's not going to be healthy for the church. Um, and then the church herself offers some some guidance on that. There's there's a, a document that there's various documents that have been put out that say you know if if the you know man is um, has a full blown narcissistic personality disorder, that mm-hmm. is not going to be treatable. He is so self absorbed. Now we're all self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. Our culture, there's you know, there's a book called The Epidemic of Narcissism. You know, to some extent, we're, I mean, we all have to fight against that. Our, you know, everything kind of feeds that in our culture, from technology to the microwave oven. You know, everything's quick and right. I want it here. I want it now. I want it my way. Um, but there's something called narcissistic personality disorder, which is, you know, that sort of self-absorption on steroids. You know, it's it's just a it's a, a very entrenched. Um, self-absorption that, that moves to the point of uh, hurting other people to, to meet my own need. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the church mm-hmm. recognizes that, hey, if somebody falls in that category, that's, that's beyond what we can do, uh, what we can do anything to really help them to the point where they could serve the people of God, where they could have the right. freedom to dislodge their own self-interests and focus on on the you know the person in front of them that they're that they're offering pastoral care to, um, right. yeah. So there's, there's there's some of these things, and then then you get there's a lot of things that are in the gray zone, right? It's like, well, okay, this guy's pretty self-absorbed, but he doesn't have full-blown personality disorder. Um, what do we do with him? Well, th- there's certain recommendations that we could make um, that could help to remedy that problem, and um, you know often. Uh, in that situation, we might recommend therapy. 
we might recommend some intensive spiritual direction. All the guys are in spiritual direction, but um, we might offer some specifics, uh, specific recommendations for the spiritual director to be working on with a man. Um, humility, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and then in seminary, uh, a seminarian has a formation advisor. And this is kind of their, their guide through the seminary. They meet regularly and talk about how things are going and um, where, uh, what they need help with um, and, and where, they're, where they're thriving and, and what things they're, they're finding they love and, and how to nurture that growth. Um, the formation right. advisor is a very, very pivotal. And so mm -hmm. we can, I can, as a psychologist, we can make recommendations for the formation advisor that, of things the man can do to address some of these issues uh, during his time in formation. And right. while he's in formation, he, you know, there are many eyes on him. And so if things aren't changing, then the, the seminary has the, the very um, kind of solemn duty to point that out. And if, if it looks like there's really no change, that there's, there's not, nothing's happening, this guy is, or, or if he's getting worse, the seminary has the obligation to point that out to the bishop and say, look, we have done our best here, but we don't think we can help with this guy. And right. then, then and, it's back on your lap, Bishop, to, to figure out, all right, now, right. What, now what do we do with them? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I would say this to, for our listeners. Um, I think it is a perilous path for any bishop to not take seriously the recommendations of a seminary mm. and their faculty and their professional staff. Some bishops have, in fact, done that. Yeah. And yeah. it has led to some very sad situations, right? Yeah. You know, there is, there is the pressure that everyone could understand that we need vocations and we, sure. need, we need priests to help in the, in the ministry of the church. But I think you would agree with me, it's, it's yeah. not so much a question of quantity as quality at this point. We Absolutely. need good, holy, healthy priests, correct? Amen. Right? Amen. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. One of the things I've learned being here now on the inside of the seminary is how much time and energy is spent on formation. I mean, this, mm -hmm. this is, I, I mean, maybe it's, it's kind of apparent to, to yourself and to, to others in the, the priests and whatnot, but for, as a lay person to come in, you know, you think kind of seminary is, is just graduate school. You know, they're learning, they're doing their theology, mm -hmm. learning about God, you know, they go to mass and then bada bing, bada boom, then they're ordained. But no, actually, no. there is a tremendous focus on the development of this man, the development of this man as a person, and his spiritual life, um, there's a tremendous focus on that. And all of these aspects of formation are, um, are, are the bread and butter of what we do here every day. And right. it's beautiful. Right. So there are many eyes looking at the guys. And every week right. we sit down as formation faculty and we talk about how are the guys doing? And we're talking about different guys and we're talking about how things are coming and, right. and you know, areas of, of growth that we've seen wonderful progress and areas of growth where, there, where there's really right. a need for progress. Um, right. And so right. this is, uh, this I, I think is wonderful. And, and my, my sense is, um, from talking to formators here as well as at other seminaries, that this has really gotten more and more intense uh, over the past 10, 20 years maybe. The, 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 there's always been the focus on formation, but the intensity of it is, is really ramping up. And I think that's a response to, you know, some of the horrible things we've seen. I think, 
I think we're all kind of done with the kind of abuse crisis. Like no one wants any of that to happen. We don't want our children abused. We don't want the lay people abused. We don't want the seminarians abused. We, we don't want any of this. We want a, a happy, healthy, and holy church. And so we're kind of done with anything that it would kind of send us mm -hmm. down some strange place. We, you know, we, want, we want everything uh, very clear, mm -hmm. very uh, above board, very focused on, uh, on the development of these men into, into healthy right. men and healthy priests. Right. You know what? I, I would say this, Tim, for, again, for, for the edification of our listeners. I think it's really important that everyone understand that the seminarians have a plan for growth, personalized, mm -hmm. individualized, that yeah. those eyes that are watching them are not so much watching them so that we create this environment of let me get to the finish line and then I'm done, but it's really accompanying them in their yeah. growth. So that, because the other distinction we have to remember is, I am sure that there are saints in heaven whose mental health was not put together very well. Because <laughs> God calls saints from all over. Yeah, but amen. you can be a saint and not competent to minister as a priest. Right. Because we're talking about leadership in the church, where yes. you are entrusted with the care of other people's lives. So this evaluation, which is tremendous, this accompaniment is important because a man could be on the road to sanctity but has mental issues that disqualify him from leadership as a priest in the church. Is that a fair way of putting that? That's a very fair way of putting it, yes. Yeah, yes. right, exactly. On, on that note, I'm gonna jump in. Um, we need to take a break. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're very happy to have with us today, Tim Locke. He's the Director of Psychological Services at Dunwoody Seminary, and we'll continue this conversation on the other side of this break. Be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www ctcemeteries.org
Welcome back now to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. We have with us Tim Locke, a psychologist, and he is talking about the formation of seminarians with Bishop Frank. Yeah. So go ahead, Bishop. Yeah, you know what, Tim, your, 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 your excellent answers have provoked many more questions, so I'm, I'm going to fire them out to you, right? Okay. All right, let's do it. Okay. Uh, is there any psychological testing that can clearly identify who is a potential abuser, sexual abuser of minors? Is there any psychological testing that says, yep, what do you think? Ah, oh, boy, I, I sure wish there was. Um, but there isn't. There's not. Uh, you know, and the, the field, uh, we, this is, it's such a complicated area because guys who commit sex offenses, sex offenders. Mm -hmm. There's such a varied group. It, it's not one, like you kind of think of like, you know, some weird guy in the corner in a trench coat or something. And that's mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, there's, there's one personality or one type of person who does this horrible thing. Um, it's, it's actually not true. They're, they're all over the place. And I, I actually worked um, in the beginning, right after I got my, uh, my doctorate, I was the director of um, a program treating sex offenders, actually in Westchester County. And in, in the, the in, so we were treating guys on probation for having committed a sex offense. There were lawyers, there were doctors, there were car mechanics, and you know, there were car salesmen. I mean, it was, there's this varied group of men who had done these heinous things. And you know, there was just, there's no one type of guy. And so mm -hmm. from a psychological testing perspective, this is a disaster because how do you predict who is mm -hmm. going to be the guy who commits a sex offense? Um, it's, it is very, very difficult. Um, so what do we do? I, so we, we ask a lot of questions to try to get at the different pathways that we see or that are, that are known in the literature for people who develop uh, a sexual offenses. And, and this is much more of an art than it is a science, um, unfortunately. Yeah. But oh, I, I suspect it as much, and I think it's important for us to remember that the accompaniment will raise um, some of the flags that while you can't discover them through testing, you will, in the interaction, right? Again, so this growth plan and this accompaniment yes. could over time, in because of the average seminarians in seminary, in the major seminary, four years, and if they're on a pastoral year, that's five years of accompaniment. So you get to know the guy somewhat. Absolutely. They're, they're, they're living in the house. They're sharing all their meals with, mm -hmm. with each other and with the faculty. So, Absolutely. you know, I, I'm, I'm here many days, uh, you know, kind of um, sun, sun, sun up to sundown. And so I'll have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with the seminarians, and so do all right. the other faculty. And so it's, right. you know, we're, we're all kind of getting to know one another and um, also, uh, you know, getting to see guys in different contexts, certainly in the classroom, but also what are they, how do they socialize? What, what do they do when they have right. downtime? They have an afternoon off. Right. What, what are they like when they go out to the pizza joint? How, how, do, they, how do they treat the, um, the, the guy who, who, the delivery guy? Or, um, or someone who's mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. a plumber mm -hmm. in the building, you know, are they, mm -hmm. are, are they arrogant? Are they, um, you know, is it all about them? Are they, um, or, or do they ignore them? 
they they not welcoming or they you know how does this kind of, kind of interact in all different settings and you're right four or five years living in the same house you, yeah they, we really get, to, get know to know the know guys them. very right. well right yeah another question uh, it, you said something very interesting that um, may have been may have escaped most of our notice but it caught my eye and that is. You spoke about the need of forming men um, for a life of chastity, mm. which is not the same thing as a life of celibacy. Mm. So help us to understand the difference. Sure, sure. Um, well, let me, let me come at this from, from the, 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 the big picture. The, the big picture is we are helping to form these men as spiritual fathers. A priest, we call the priest father. He's, he's a spiritual father to the community. And so, so what does it mean to be a father? Um, you know, there's no um, handbook that they gave me in the delivery room when my first little guy was born that was like, hey, here's what you do now. Um, but there, there are now, thanks be to God, there's, there's a lot of great Catholic writers who write about fatherhood, who write about um, what it is like to be a dad. And I had the great benefit of reading some of those books. Well, likewise with spiritual fatherhood, there's great writings in, in, in uh, men from many of the saints um, and uh, you know, uh, writing ancient writings to, to modern writings of, of what does it mean to be a spiritual father. And so um, that is, that is uh, really the focus of, uh, of our formation program. Now in that, Absolutely, is this call to chastity. So how is chastity different from celibacy? So celibacy is simply um, living a life where you are not engaging in sex. So someone who's single is living celibate. They're not, they're not having sex with anyone. Um, chastity is, is a virtue. Chastity is the, the virtue of being able to integrate one's sexuality in a way that's consistent with their, with, their, um, with their vocational life. So a, a married person can live a chaste life as, as they uh, live in accord with uh, their, their spouse. And a priest can live a chaste life as they live in accord with their, um, with their spouse, the church. And so that includes living a celibate life, but, but it includes much more. It, inc it includes um, it includes being able to live with a certain freedom that you're not you're, you're, you're not um, as tied down by a family. You know, after work, I go home to my family. I'm kind of tied down to that, the old ball and chain as they, they would refer to. Uh, the spouse. Um, and that's, that's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, it's a beautiful thing to be able to go home to my family. But I don't have the freedom to go here, there, or everywhere. I just don't. I, I have a family. I have responsibilities there. Um, a priest has the freedom, and, and through this integrated life of chaste life, has the freedom to be able to give themselves and in, in such a way, and to have a freedom to do that um, through not having a spouse. 
and not having those, those responsibilities of a family. And so that kind of frees him up to be able to enter more deeply into relationship with the Lord and the people of God. Or to get into trouble. Uh, right? That's true. Right? That's absolutely so, true. Right. So if you lose your anchor, then you are lost at sea. That's it. And yeah. that is what at times every cleric is tempted in one way or, or another because of stress or worry or anxiety or the pressures yeah. of ministry or whatever else is and needs to resist that. So my next question to you is this. Spiritual direction and psychological mm -hmm. counseling mm -hmm. are related, but not the same thing. So right. explain for us how they're different, how they fit with one another um, in, in a wholesome, healthy life. Sure, sure. So, um, so let, me, let me talk about therapy and counseling first. So, so that is focused on helping us to resolve our emotional or psychological distress that we're experiencing. And with that, we're often looking at past wounds. So we're looking at someone's emotional distress or psychological distress, past wounds, and helping the individual to, um, to work through issues, to, to grow in their emotional life, to have better coping, um, and to decrease their symptomatology because with these emotional and psychological distress comes a, a, an array of different symptoms that people are having that block them from being able to do things they'd like to do. And so in, in the therapy and the counseling, we're working on those issues to decrease the symptomatology, which ultimately increases their, their freedom. Um, spiritual direction is focused at helping you grow in your holiness, to grow in your relationship with, with the Lord, with God. Um, and, and the spiritual director is trained in the spiritual life to help you discern the movements of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Um, and so I've, I've, got a, I've got a great uh, a, a great example with this. I was, I was meeting with a religious sister, and she said to me, um, Dr. Locke, sometimes when people confront me and, they, and, they, um, and they're very angry with me, I get very angry. And um, I, I want to talk about that because I'm not sure if I should um, just kind of be quiet and meek and just kind of accept it, or if I should, um, if I should kind of meet them where they're at. And could, because I get very angry and I just want to, you know, kind of, you know, talk back to them. Um, and I said, so she said, you know, what should I do in this situation? <clears throat> and, and I said, I'd think about it for a second. I said, okay, that's a great, great situation. What should you do? Well, what's the Lord asking you to do? And, um, and I said, what, what my concern as a psychologist is, I want you to have the freedom to respond both ways. You know, sometimes Jesus flipped the money changers tables. And sometimes mm -hmm. he, he laid down his life and, and was a lamb led to the slaughter. And um, he was choosing which reaction to have based on what his father was asking him to do. So, so um, likewise with us, you know, if we know what the Lord wants us to do, then we, we can go in either of those directions. But if you don't have the freedom 
to speak up if you need assertiveness skills, or if you don't this is the freedom to close your mouth and to have a little bit of humility, um, you're kind of entrenched in one way. And as a psychologist, I want, I want to help you to be able to, um, you know, for some people who, who have assertiveness problems, they've never been able to speak up or speak their mind, or they've always been shut down. And so there's wounds there. There's, there's things they need to work through to, to kind of grow in that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that would be my focus. The spiritual director would help them discern what is God calling you to in this moment. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. It, it, what, what comes to mind is, is the classic theological paradigm of nature and grace. Grace builds on nature. So if yeah. nature is not healthy, in this case, one's own mental state is not healthy, then grace can't permeate the way the Lord would want to inform it, form it, and bring it to, to perfection, right? Yeah, exactly. Makes exactly. perfect sense. Yeah. Okay, another question. Um, I have said on this pro, so please don't say I was wrong, please just, all right. but I've said on this, on, the, on this podcast that an essential piece of this conversation is for celibates, for, the, for married people, for single people, is the rediscovery of healthy, authentic friendships oh. is an essential piece to good mental health. Would you agree, disagree, or oh. any thoughts on that? Absolutely agree. Wholeheartedly oh, agree. Thank God. All right, now yeah. explain what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, our, our technology is, is an incredible thing, but um, boy, does it have an amazing ability to isolate us. We can sit behind a screen all day long and... Um, it's funny, sometimes when I'm talking to teenagers, uh, uh, they'll say things like, uh, I talk to my friend, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'll stop them and say, you talk to them. Does that mean you called them on the phone or you saw them and spoke to them? And they will invariably say, no, no, I texted them. Mm -hmm. So I said, no, you didn't talk to them. You texted them. There's a big difference. This, this call that you're making, Bishop, to authentic friendship really brings mm -hmm. back the, the need for that in-person, face-to-face mm -hmm. conversation and, mm -hmm. and sharing and, and growing in friendship <clears throat> with, with another person. And, and that happens over time. That, that takes work. That takes um, uh, engaging the other. Uh, right. Sharing, right. being vulnerable, letting right. them be vulnerable. Um, mm -hmm. this, these, these are all wonderful things. And, and when we don't do that, all, of, all this sort of stuff gets kind of locked up within us. Like we're, we're, we're made to have authentic friendship. We're made for communion. So when we don't have those authentic friendships, we're, interiorly, we're not firing on all cylinders. We're, we, we get jammed up. And, and, and that's when things can go strange and a temptation can come and we could entertain it a little more and kind of go down a bad path. Um, right. But when we have friendship, when we can reach out, when we can connect with another person, we can be more authentic. We can be more who we really mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and in those relationships, share. Go ahead. If I may just say this, I think um, I, my sense is as I've grown older, 
the fact that a person does not have a natural bond to, to you, like a child to a parent, or in marriage, a spouse to a spouse, who does not have a natural bond, but still chooses to love you and stand with you, mm. is a precious gift which is what mm. a true friend is. Not an acquaintance, not somebody you hang out with, not somebody you like, somebody, but a real friend chooses to love you um, when they don't have to by any mm -hmm. natural bond mm -hmm. is exactly what is missing in many people's lives. Mm -hmm. Right? And if that, if, if, if it would seem to me, and again, Tim, you may disagree, but like for spouses, I myself am not married, but if I were married, I would hope my, my, my wife would be my best friend right. for that reason, because you're bound by the sacrament, but you freely entered into it, and you continue to be free in that, to continue to give yourself. And, and if that doesn't happen, then, it, then you get into trouble. And I think the seminarians and priests, if we want to transition to priests, one of the great obstacles that I see in priesthood is that there isn't the sense of fraternity that mm. once existed, when there were more priests that had more leisure time to recreate with each other and to spend time together with meals. Um, when I look at priests now, many of them are working extraordinarily hard mm -hmm. and they are very, um, their time is imposed upon them tremendously. And sometimes with the best of intentions, they forego meeting with friends or classmates or even celebrating certain events. Um, because they're serving, but the, but, but the, the, the well is not being refilled, right? right. And, and that is problematic. And we need to address that in some way because priestly fraternity and priest, priestly friendships, which is different from fraternity, right? Fraternities right. with everyone. Priest, then that's essential for a priest to remain healthy because he could be healthy at ordination, just like you say, within 10 years, you could be totally deformed mentally, right? Right, right, oh gosh, yeah. Right, exactly. Absolutely. So talk to me about COVID. Talk to me about COVID. What has COVID done <laughs> to all of this? <laughs> oh, COVID's just a disaster mental health-wise. Yeah, um, you know, gosh, it, you know, um, I'm, I imagine you've heard, I'm sure you've heard all the statistics about how much worse people are now post, post the lockdown and whatnot, but just the, the impact it had on mental health, um, you know, driving up anxiety, driving up depression, driving up suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Gosh, uh, you know, one of, the, um, one of the, the studies I was looking at showed, you know, two and a half times the the levels of suicidal thoughts are, are pe people are experiencing that now that compared with before covid like there's just much more of, of suicidal thoughts and and even in essential workers it's double what what the normal population is is experiencing and so it's gosh it's just been such a difficult time with the you know the 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 fear that is is there with with this horrible disease you know, with the uncertainty, you know, particularly during the lockdown, we didn't know how long it would go. Would it go for years or would it go for days or what? Um, and that sort of uncertainty is just, just so difficult to, to, to deal with. And, and now we've got the variants coming. And so, and so you know, the, the unpredictability is not helpful. Um, 
to our mental health. And, you know, this has impact on adults. It has impact on our priests um, who are, you know, we talked about isolation, you know, living one guy in a rectory, it's a lockdown and, and everybody's kind of, kind of in their homes and right. that's it. Right, right. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, when I quarantined, time. the two times I had to quarantine, it was, it was torturous, yeah. right? Because you're basically alone. The interesting thing is, um, uh, I've said this, I, I believe I said this on earlier podcasts, but I myself personally have never been more physically tired in my ministry mm. than I am now. And part of it is, for, for full disclosure, it's the psychological energy that you need to expend because there isn't an ordinary routine anymore. Yeah. You, you're reinventing things all the time. Right. And I never realized how consoling the ordinary routine is. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yes. It creates familiarity, predictability, and it just takes so much more energy to have to reinvent things over and over again. Right? Am I the only one you think? Or like we all in the same boat, Tim? <laughs> oh, no, I think we're all in the same boat. And I think that's part of what drives up the anxiety and drives up, up the depression is, is yeah, the, the sense of routine is, uh, is, is just kind of, uh, it's so unpredictable. You know, today we could be, uh, you know, sitting in a room together without masks on. Tomorrow we could have, you know, full, full body gear on and masks and gloves and this and that. And, and you just, it's like, uh, it, it's, it's very stressful. Um, there's really something to be said for the, uh, the, the monks that live with their, their horarium, their, their kind of daily things that they do the same every day, day in, day out, which, you know, is certainly, you know, there's, there's difficulties in that. Um, but those guys live forever and ever, and, and the nuns, they, they live forever and ever, and their, their, their health is actually very good. Our, our bodies were really made for that, for, for routine. We really thrive in that. Um, now, yeah. we don't have to be to the level of, you know, being in a monastery, um, but, but you're right. Like, uh, our kind of normal routine pre-COVID, we look back on it as like, wow, that was really, that was really nice. That's, uh, well, you know, I joke with yet. my friends. Tim, I joke with my friends and say to them, I'm ready to become a hermit, provided I have cable service. <laughs> if they give me cable, I'll be a hermit. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, I'm joking. Okay, so now another question, another area. You spoke about being wounded, and we're all wounded, mm. right? In some way, shape, sure, or form. Sure, absolutely. Right? Yeah. But, but is it fair to say that many of the more significant wounds we experience are wounds we receive in our families many times when we're younger and they are the hardest to heal. Is that a fair statement, unfair statement? What do you think? It's a very fair statement. Yeah, it's a very fair statement. You know, so if we think about the psychology of this, like your parents are supposed to be, they're supposed to create this almost like a, like a bird's nest, like this, this, this home, this, this place where you can be that is very safe and, um, and uh, warm, temperature-wise, but, but emotionally warm and nurturing. And when that is essentially betrayed, and my goodness, as a father, you know, I, you know it's... Uh, you think of all the things, I, th I think of all the things I've done 
as a father that we're not warm or, or kind and you think of how you wound your kids and it's, it can be overwhelming at times. Um, and, and, and then there's the imperceptible things because we all have certain needs that, that maybe we don't always express and others don't know. And so we're, we kind of miss out or there's, there's, a, there's, a, 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 um, there's not an attunement to the needs. And certainly with little kids, uh, we see this and there's a whole psychology on this where the mother tuning into the baby, what does the baby need? And sometimes the mother doesn't always quite get it. Um, even, you know, even the, the best of mothers, there's just sometimes um, there's the exhaustion of motherhood and, and all this. And, and so sometimes there's, the needs aren't always met. And th- those could also be wounds. And again, it's, it's in this place where it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be like living with, with Mary and Joseph. Um, you know, it's supposed to be that sort of an environment, but, but sad, sadly it's not. And again, when we look at technology and stuff like this, gosh, the phones distract us all, right? And so uh, a parent there, it's, 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 you know, when I'm out at a restaurant and I see a parent at a table with a kid and the parent's looking at their phone, my heart just Ugh. drops. I just... Ugh. Put terrible. the stupid phone down. Talk to yeah, the kid. Terrible. Um, well, they themselves yeah. are, they need to come see you because they're addicted. <laughs> That's an addiction. Sure. sure. It overrules sure. rationality, good sense, any sort of wisdom. They, are, they have been enslaved. That's a whole nother thing. Technology yeah. has been designed specifically to foster addiction, right? Because yes. that's the yes, business model. But that's a whole nother yeah. episode we could talk about. I have one last question for you then, my friend. <laughs> okay. And that is, I love my pastor. I'm listening to this podcast. I love my pastor. Mm. Working like a demon. Mm-hmm. I see, you know, but, but he's doing a great job. He's, he's there. He's available. Um, and I want, having heard everything you said, I want to help him. Okay? I'm going to say I want to, to help support him. I'm going to, mm-hmm. if I put it this way, I want to help his mental health. I want to be able to, to give him some real assistance. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? Like, what do I do? Sure. sure. What would you suggest? Uh, what I would suggest is, um, is that we, we have to, as the people of God, we have to really love our priests and, and show appreciation uh, in gratitude for the 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 sacrifices that that they that they offer for us and for and for the sacraments that that they bring to us, um, I think that we can often fail to say, even say simple thank yous. Um, uh, so so there's that aspect. You know, even walking out of of, of mass on Sunday, um, thanking Father for his homily. You know, it's a good idea uh, to listen to the homily so that you know what he said. Uh, because I know myself, sometimes I go off to La La Land, I have to pull myself back, stay focused. Um, but are those with me, Father. are those the masses I'm celebrating? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say, but uh, oh, gosh, you caught me. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, the priests spend a lot of time on their homilies. You know, and this is something, again, I learned working in the seminary. There's a lot that goes into that. And, um, and showing the gratitude for that. And from there, I think there's also the aspect of, of um, how would I say, you know, inviting Father to dinner. 
that's a great thing, or inviting him out for a cup of coffee. Now, he may not have time, or, or he may not be able to do that, and that's fine. But if he can, that can be a great blessing to him, to just have right. him over for a meal. No agenda, just, just feed the guy. And, and um, you know, it can be a, a lovely time of, of getting to know him more and him getting to know you more. And, again, that's just normal. It's, it's back to some of the normalcy uh, post-COVID lockdowns and whatnot. And, um, and that relational aspect we were talking about, it gets more into to the human side where, where there's sharing. And, and uh, I think that's really a beautiful thing. And then also I would say, and, and this is obvious, but, but we, we need to be reminded to, to pray for our priests. We, mm-hmm. need, we need to pray for our priests because they're under attack. They're under attack. And like you said before, the majority of priests are really, really good guys. They are, they are right. working their heart out to the service of God's people for the Lord. And, and, and gosh, um, it's, it, it's the, the abuse scandal and whatnot kind of taints that so much. And so we, we want to help rebuild, gosh, their dignity of, of who they are as, as our spiritual father. And uh, so I think those are some ways, things we could do. Great. So I'm so, I'm so sorry to jump in. Um, and this conversation is so great. But we do need to take a break. Dr. Tim Locke is with us. He's a Catholic psychologist and therapist and director of psychological services at Dunwoody Seminary. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we're going to be right back after the break. Want to make a difference at work? Veritas Catholic Network is looking to hire a full-time development director. If you're organized and you have sales or fundraising experience, if you love the faith and feel called to evangelization, If you're looking for something more meaningful, email info at veritascatholic.com. We're hiring, and you can help take Veritas to the next level as we grow and continue to reach more and more souls with the incredible, saving words of Jesus Christ. Email us about the development director position. It's info at veritascatholic.com. That is info at veritascatholic.com if you're interested in joining the Veritas team. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, here's this week's listener question. Bishop Frank, how can I explain novenas to a friend of mine who is not Catholic? She says they are repetitive prayer and also that the promises are superstition. Well, I think to explain, to explain the, the Catholic practice of novena to a non-Catholic is a difficult thing to do, precisely because they don't have the imagine the the Catholic culture and imagination that puts the novena in its proper place, because there are people perhaps who would pray a novena and think superstitiously that it gives an automatic response, but it's not. But that is not what it is. The repetition and the commitment of time is exactly that. It's a sacrificial act that disposes the heart to offer prayer, worship to God through the intercession of Our Lady or the saints so that we could prepare our hearts to receive whatever answer God gives. Okay, there's not negotiations, not bargainings, not magic, not superstition, right? Now, but that's the intuition that a Catholic who's properly formed would understand. So my suggestion would be that's how one, one would explain it, that it's... It is not any of the things I mentioned before. It really is my sacrificial act to come to this prayer for a period of time 
through the, through the help of the individuals that are in this novena, the saints, who are alive to us, if we believe there is a heaven, they are alive to us, to dispose my heart to whatever God's going to give, whatever he says. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Right? Great. If you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. We would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Dr. Timothy Locke, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Bishop Frank. Oh, Tim, you did a great job. Thank you. <laughs> and quickly, where can, where can folks contact you if they want you to come out and speak somewhere? Sure. DrTimLock.com is, is my website. You can, you can reach me through that. Perfect. And Thank Excellency, you. before we go, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. The Lord be with you. And with, and your, with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. 